You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. So today we got kind of a lot of things going on, but I wanted to start off with a big apology to several people, and I want to do it in the form of, you know, I guess bragging on them a little bit. Because if you've been listening for a while, you know what I tend to do is exaggerate in one way or another based on what I keep hearing and seeing from the fan base. In other words... If somebody's mediocre and everybody thinks they're great, I'm going to come on this podcast and say they are trash. And that's probably not the right thing to do. I'm just trying to drag everybody in the right direction a little bit and be like, stop having expectations for this person because they're just not very good right now. But when you've been doing that for months, you kind of beat up on people way more than they deserve it. So I want to kind of take it in the other direction. So that's what I want to start with. Uh, We had a little exercise in the Facebook group that I thought was was kind of fun. I think I, I saw somebody on Twitter say something similar, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to pose that question because that would definitely apply to me as well. But I want to start there, and then uh, we'll roll through some questions and just kind of monitor the time, see how it's going. There's it's a never-ending supply of things to talk about, man. It's football. You just, you just talk. Anyways, 11 iTunes reviews away. Let's get rolling. Can't wait to get to 200 so I don't have to say this anymore. That'd be cool. But be sure to check the description for all the cool stuff, phone number, etc., etc. Let's take a break and uh, get back into interesting things. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So the exercise that I had asked people to partake in is that I said, if let's just pretend that every single Green Bay Packer was listening to this podcast. Which Green Bay Packer do you think would be most likely to want to give me a beating, and which one would most likely want to buy me a car? Now, I think you can kind of take this a couple different ways. One is just raw value, and one is maybe sort of unfair or unjustified. Most of these I can get on board with. Some of them I don't exactly understand. But that's part of the reason I did this, is I want to see my blind spots. I know I'm too hard on Kevin King. That's obvious, and that was a clear number one answer. But some of these were a little surprising, so I want to run through the uh, the responses here. Josh says, beating from Kevin King, car for Aaron Jones. By the way, if any of the uh, car people are listening, I don't need anything fancy. Good gas mileage, air conditioning that works. You know, I'm a pretty simple guy. I would like it to be expensive because you're a football player, though. It's all I'm saying. But seriously, nothing fancy. Just, you know, really, really expensive. Uh, Todd says, Kevin King for the beating, although somewhat deserved. And he said, everyone besides the tight end should buy me a car based on my position rankings in the NFC North, which I think is a fair shot because even I am looking back at that going, even though I, I, you know, I can't change anything because it's how I honestly looked at it. Obviously, something's a little off because if I'm correct in that, the Packers are going to steamroll the NFC North and it shouldn't really even be close. 
Patrick says, the guy that owes you a beating is probably Lane Taylor, and the hype guy is Jay Sternberger. I'll own both of those. I've been too hard on Lane. Lane Taylor might even be the number two, and I think it's for the exact same reason. I think Lane Taylor and Kevin King are both kind of in the mediocre category. Lane Taylor, I think, is a little bit better than Kevin King has been, because Kevin King has been, you know, not even including injuries. Lane Taylor has been there despite giving up, you know, eight sacks last season and all that. He's done a decent job as a, as a quality starter that's been there every snap. I'll also also own the Jace thing because, you know, I've been saying it. I, I acknowledge that it's very unlikely that he's ultra successful, but it doesn't change the fact that when I watched him, I really... Re- but the bottom line is I'm, I'm acknowledging that I'm probably wrong on him because if I'm just doing straight-up scouting, I would have had Jace Sternberger probably right after TJ Hawkinson in my rankings. Noah Fant wouldn't, you know, he, he's in a different tier below Jay Sternberger. I just really like Jay Sternberger, and we drafted him. Billy says, Kevin King owes you a good old-fashioned A-money-money whooping with his crutches. Think about it, you'll figure it out. And then he says, you can't bring his name up without throwing a jab every single time, and that's absolutely true. And I just, it's weird. It's like I, every time I say something, I can hear everybody talking in my head. I'm literally sitting alone in my basement at 3.30 in the morning with a burnt hand because I used a cup that's too small for coffee and got all excited about grabbing it. But I can hear people talking in my head, which probably explains a lot to you right now, but, it, you know, it's the truth. And they're all talking about, oh, Kevin King's really good, and he just, he, you're wrong, he's just injured. And then I start arguing with you, and I don't need to do that, and I feel bad about it, which is why we're here. He says, honorable mention, Lane Taylor. He says, owes you a car, used to be Jake Ryan, exactly correct. That was actually the first thing that came to mind when, my mind when I asked that question to myself was Jake Ryan, even though he's not on the team anymore. Because just everybody hated Jake Ryan, and it drove me nuts. Jake Ryan is mediocre. He's okay. He's pretty good if you consider him a fourth-round draft pick. But everybody hated him and wanted him gone, so I just ran to the other extreme and basically said he was a freak. I never did that. I'm just saying. That's kind of how it came off, because every time I talk about Jake Ryan, it was something positive. He goes on to say, Now I would say Brian Balaga. Honorable mention would be Tremont Williams, and to a lesser degree, Blake Martinez. I could understand those. Balaga, I think, is somewhat deserved. I, I really do think he's a, a really good tackle. I know I, I can't stop saying that for the exact same reason, but I do think that's very well deserved. Um, Tremont is kind of iffy. I definitely am... am I feel like I've been kind of harsh on him more recently, especially when we start talking about him transitioning to safety because I'm doing even a bigger sin, which is protecting ha Clinton Dix by saying Tremont was worse than him, which really sends people off into crazy town. But yeah, I think I overhype him. Tremont is mediocre, and and I kind of just automatically give him the number two job, and I shouldn't do that. It's just kind of how I see it as of right now. And then lesser degree, Blake Martinez. That's probably true. I feel like I don't have to do it too much because a lot of the fan base probably overhypes him. But it's it's a very split fan base. Some people really don't think he's that good. Other people think he's great because he like leads the league in tackles. So I yeah, I guess maybe that's a blind spot. I don't really think about that too much. Kyle comes in with another one that I didn't think of. He said, Gmo owes me the A-money, money whooping. I think that's absolutely true. Geronimo deserves a lot of respect. He seems like a really good guy on top of that. Real hard worker, kind of come from the bottom kind of guy. Earn the respect of Rodgers. Comes up in clutch situations. I mean, the epitome of making the best of what you got. And yeah, every time I talk about him, I probably trash him a little bit. Again, that's your fault. <laughs> Joking. But there's no question he's, he's really striving. I'm just trying to illustrate that he's mediocre. And as far as his ceiling, I don't know how much higher he can go because he doesn't have that many tools to work with. But he definitely deserves a lot more respect than he's been getting on this here podcast. And I am ashamed of that situation. And he says, Tremont owes me the car on the bench week three. I wouldn't doubt it. It, it might even be sooner than that. And the biggest reason I say that, Tremont has to start slowing down. The guy, for crying out loud. He's 36. He has to start slowing down, and he has been. And to be honest, he's had essentially one good season, and that was with the Cardinals over the last, I don't know, three, four. I mean, not that he was bad, but beyond all that, the Packers have to know, and of course they do know, that although they're willing to play the best man for the job, they absolutely want Kevin King, Jair, and Josh Jackson to be the starters. And if it's a tie or even close to a tie, it's going to go to the young guys. So all Josh Jackson and Kevin King need to do is take a little bit of a step forward, be healthy, and Tremont's on the bench, I think. And and there could be a rotation. Um, I think Tremont deserves to be on the field. And uh, But I, I really think 
his biggest asset to the team is as a teacher and as a leader. And I think if he's on the field, it's essentially a failure of the young guys because they would be handed this job, no question, if the opportunity arose because the Packers need the young guys to step up. If Tremont is the number two guy on this team, that's not a good situation. Not because he's not talented, but again, because it just illustrates that the young guys have not been able to step up and take the job. And it's not as though Tremont is an elite corner. It's not that hard to step up and be as good as Tremont. Again, no disrespect, he's unbelievably intelligent to be able to do what he's doing at his age is a lot of mental work. But Kevin King and Josh Jackson have a massive advantage over him with their youth and their physicality and their their agility and speed and all that other stuff. To not be able to use that to your advantage to be better at, at being a corner than Tremont, come on guys. That's not a swipe at Kevin King or Josh Jackson. It's absolutely not. How dare you? How dare you say that? Dang it, I did it again. And hey, I, I, I didn't say it was going to happen. I'm just saying that would be the situation if they don't step up. But they will. So it's all good. Kevin King's great. Moving on. Beating from Lane Taylor, car from Amos. I think that's relatively fair on Amos. I feel like I've been kind of balanced by saying he could drop off, but it's also entirely possible that I've been overhyping him the whole way along. I don't know, but I, again, I, I know it's not a bias thing because it was prior to him even getting signed by the Packers. He was one of my top guys, but still entirely possible that I'm I'm too high on him. And again, Lane, very sorry. Please don't hit me. Josh says, if I saw Josh Jones as of recent, I'd run and find an adult. Yeah, I, I'd probably run. Although, do you run? Do I Do I run from Josh Jones? I mean, he's, he's going to catch me, right? like being face-to-face with a bear. I mean, an instinct could probably kick in. I'd probably just start running, but I don't know that it's going to help things. Probably just stand there and try to look tough in case somebody was recording it and just do my best effort to just not cry. And just just let him hit me, I guess. I don't know. Crawl away saying that didn't hurt. You know, tough guy stuff. But yeah, you know, I guess that's true. Been hard on Josh Jones. I I don't really know how not to be. I think uh, I, like probably several other Packer fans, are just kind of fed up. Not that it's Josh Jones' fault, but really, really tired of, of under... And, and maybe that's a bigger issue here with me and Josh Jackson, me and Kevin King. Um, you know, I just, I just feel like I'm so tired of early round DBs that just aren't panning out. I'm just, I'm so tired of it. And all of them with high potential. Kevin King, mass. I loved Kevin King. I mean, I didn't really like him when we drafted him because I, I remember thinking, eh, I don't really get it. He wasn't high on my list. But you start watching him and you see the, the height, speed, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, imagine how good he could be. I didn't see it on the field, but oh boy, could he be great. Josh Jones was the same thing. Everybody was super hyped. And I'm sitting there like, who's Josh Jones? And then you look him up and it's like, oh man, he's like a heat-seeking missile. Blah, 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 blah. Then he has a bad year and it's like, oh, maybe, you know, new scheme and it's going to be simplified and uh, uh, and then he can just focus on his physicality. It makes sense, right? Uh, uh, and he has another bad year. He doesn't even get on the field. So I guess I'm taking out my frustration on fr- with Ted Thompson on Josh Jones, even though it's about Josh Jones. It wouldn't be frustrating if Josh Jones just played well. But yeah, I, I, I've been maybe too harsh on him. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. I just want him to do well, and I know he can do well, and I wish he would just not have asked for that trade. I wish the team, and I, listen, I, I believe I've said, I want this all to go away. I do want him to play. I, I don't, I, I like the idea of him having a third, I mean, he, he's right there, you know, third-year leaps are a thing. Josh Jones is the kind of guy that could have that. I mean, he had one year in Dom's scheme, he had one year in Petten's scheme, maybe second year, you know, I'll give him another excuse. I'd like to be able to keep him. I'd like to see what he can do. I guess I just have very low tolerance for underperforming DBs. That could also be why I'm so low on Kadar Holman. It's all starting to come together now. I'm like a guy with daddy issues or something. (laughs) This is starting to feel pathetic. I got DB issues. Whenever a new DB comes into my life, I just instantly hate him. I'm like Michael Scott with Toby. Just seethe. I gotta work on that. Oh, he's probably gonna be terrible. He'll probably just leave me like all the rest. Josh goes on to say, Rogers and Sternberger owe you the car. He says Rogers does, so I'm assuming he's coming from a not overhyped standpoint, from just a, you know, high praise in general. Because I am not overhyping Aaron Rodgers. The man deserves it. Another vote for Sternberger. I think it'd be kind of cool if they both rolled up in a car. Oh, and by the way, he goes on to say, and Sternberger's better come with a Hemi, because apparently I am <laughs> very high on Sternberger. 
Todd says, people named Antonio owe you a beating. That is hilarious. Says everyone else is deserving of criticism. I do apologize to any Antonios in the audience. Not only for mispronouncing your name, but my stubbornness to correct it. It's just how I am. He goes on to say, you might have actually overrated Devontae Adams. Fortunately, he can afford a nice car for you. That one shocks me, because I would almost put Devontae in the beating category. Although I could understand where he's coming from. I feel like my, my standard way of going about it is to kind of meet halfway. In other words, Devante is, you know, let's say here. You can't see my hand, but just put your hand somewhere because it doesn't really matter. It's all relative to the other hand. Then take your second hand and put it up higher and then say here is where, you know, the, the fans have him. And I try to meet him somewhere in, in between, and, and the fans keep saying he's top five, and I don't believe he is top five, which is why I would have said that I'm, people think I over, uh, underrate him. The fan base calls him top five, and I've consistently said, I, I love you, Devontae, and I believe you could be top five, but I don't think he's top five. I am curious, though, Todd, where exactly you would say that I'm overrating him. Because I, I think my standard thing is he's not top five, but I would say he's top ten. So I'm assuming you think he's not exactly top ten, which isn't even that unfair. If I had to pick, let me put it this way, if I had to pick between he's either top ten or or out, or excuse me, he's either top five or outside of the top ten. I'd put him outside of the top ten, not happily, but it's it, it, it's not even it's, it has nothing to do with Devontae. It just has everything to do with all the other wide receivers. There's so many freakishly good wide receivers. Devontae's one of them. He's just not quite there. I don't know. I would put him between five and ten. That's just my personal thing. As somebody that doesn't watch every snap of every single football player, just sees glimpses of people usually because I have an interest in some fantasy football prospect on that team and either because they're on my team or the opponent's team or just happen to be seeing it i notice football players that are very good todd also added a comment says football outsiders owes you a beating too for criminally underrating their value i don't know why i don't like them so much it makes sense and they do good work to just kind of to look at value based on strength of schedule and whatnot I think like everything else, I, I should probably at least bring them up to where PFF is and just kind of bring it into the fold. Because what I've been trying to say is nothing is sort of the ultimate. There is no ultimate because it's just impossible because it's football and there's so many things. But there's a lot of different ways to look at, at different pieces and pictures. And you can kind of take it all and try to put it together. And I think that's one of the tools that you could use. I think at this point, whenever I say something bad about football outsiders, it's just strictly to, to pick on Todd because he keeps calling me out for using PFF and not football outsiders. Finally, Andy chimes in and says, beating from Geronimo Carr from DJ Galaxy. I do hype up Mr. DJ Galaxy quite a bit. Fortunately, I, uh, I know DJ Galaxy, so I could talk to him about it. Unfortunately, I don't think his income stream is quite to where it needs to be. We also aren't exactly on speaking terms since I replaced him, so, you know. But anyways, what I would like to try to do is have a little bit of a hype session for a couple of the people that I've been um, kind of dumping on a little bit. Don't think I'm going to go in the opposite direction because it's a Packers podcast and I don't want to pick out players that are good or that I talk about as being good and just start dumping on them. And I know I've kind of gone through this just recently because we went through a lot of different players. But let's start with Kevin King. First of all, let, let, let's talk about the obvious. In his rookie year, he wasn't super great. But he was injured, and if you want to see a glimmer of how good this guy can be, let's look at the guy that shut down Julio Jones. Now, it's hard to look at one instance, but when that's your one instance, there's something there. It's not a matter of if he can be good, it's a matter of if he can stay healthy and if he can stay consistent, because he's played healthy and played poorly before, but that guy is in there somewhere. And no, not everybody can do that once in a while. The idea that everybody has a good game once in a while, even bad corners, is true. But being a rookie, jumping out onto the field, in what was essentially his first ever start, against Seattle he played six snaps. Week two was against Atlanta. Julio Jones, by that way, by the way, in that game, it's, it's, it's not as though he had a bad game. He had a 90.4 overall grade. They gave him an elite grade in that game. Against Quinton Rollins, he's, he, had, he was 1-for-1 one one for 15 yards. Against Demarius Randall, 3-for-3 three three for 66 yards. 22 yards per reception, 33 yards after the catch. Against Kentrell Bryce, 1-for-1 one for, one for 27 yards. Against Kevin King, though, two targets, no receptions, one pass breakup. 
The low targets, by the way, and the low receptions, largely because of Kevin King. Nine targets, five receptions, 108 yards, 21.6 yards per reception. So he had a big game, but the big game came because occasionally Kevin King wasn't on him. And in those instances, when Randall or Rollins or or, uh, Kentrell Bryce were on him, Julio Jones gashed us for 20 yards. In his second start, not every play, but on several plays, he lined up directly across from one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, didn't allow to allow a single catch. And if you think the first thing that the, the Matt Ryan, if you don't think the first thing that he did was lick his lips when he saw a young rookie on Julio Jones, you're out of your mind. They wanted to test him all day, every day, and they got nothing for it. It's not about Julio Jones having a bad day. It's not about Kevin King having, well, everybody has a good day. No, not against Julio Jones, you don't. If you have a good day, it's not coming on this day. And then you look at 2018, he was essentially hurt the whole year. I mean, he was hurt in the, the preseason, I believe. He was already dealing with injuries. He only plays, you know, what, like a game and a half before he gets injured against Minnesota. Doesn't come back until week five. Only makes it until week nine, and then he's out again. In this small stretch, again, he ended up having another really good game, this time graded even higher than the game against Julio Jones, as I mentioned yesterday or the day before, this time against San Francisco. Kevin King in that game lined up against three different receivers. Marquise Goodwin, who had an 88.4 overall grade, ended the day with five targets, four receptions, 126 yards, which is 31.5 yards per reception, 40 yards after the catch, uh, two touchdowns, His day against Kevin King was two targets, one reception for 17 yards. Two yards after the catch, and by the way, that one target that wasn't caught was a pick. So he gave up against against Marquise Goodwin, he gave up one reception, and he got one pick. That's on two targets. I'll take that every day of the week. Against Kendrick Bourne, only one target, zero receptions. Against Pierre Garçon, one target, zero receptions. Kevin King ended the day... Four targets, one reception, 17 yards, only two yards after the catch, only gave up one first down, one got one interception, one of the passes was dropped. Again, it's just one game, but it kind of goes to show what's in there. And it, 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 it makes me understand why a lot of fans like to say he's good when he's healthy. If these are the games that stick out in your mind, yes, he is. Now, we also have to recognize that sometimes he's bad when he's healthy. That's also true on occasion. But the fact of the matter is he, he's, he's really only accrued about one full season. He's, he's never played a second year in a system ever. He's got all the athletic tools that you could ever want in a corner. He's, he's got the height, he's got the length, he's got the speed. He comes out of an a absolute dominant uh, defensive back group over at Washington. Great program. And I think if anyone's honestly going to be looking for someone to take either, you know, say a second or third year, I would say third, but there's not that many options available. But if anyone's looking for that second, third, fourth year leap, I think Kevin King should be relatively top, you know, close to the top of that list. We know he's got it in there somewhere. We've seen it. We know he's got the physical tools. As far as the ceiling goes, I mean, it's it's probably higher than Jair's. He's got four four three speed at six foot three. Somebody that can that can take on the the bigger and it, it 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 what an asset by the way if Kevin King can step up and be a dominant corner you know how beneficial that's going to be I love that we have Jair and I love that I that you know he, he's probably going to be taking another step and he can be a very very good corner but when you look at a lot of the really dominant receivers not all of them but a lot of them a lot of them are the Julio Jones types and I'm not saying Jair cannot take on a Julio Jones but it's not a really a fair fight. Jair's a dog, but Julio is just a beast. The 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 length and the speed and and just everything else that he has, Kevin King matches that so perfectly to be able to take on the bullies, you know the 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 big strong wide receivers, you know the the DK Metcalf types. Not saying he's going to be a freak, but you know the type I'm talking about. Big strong jump ball guys. Usually they can get open, but even if you can't, let's just launch it up to them. They'll get it. Not when Kevin King's on them. We need a guy like Kevin King. Great compliment to a guy like Jair. And I would love nothing more than for Josh to, to be able to step up as well. And, and you know, how great would it be if, if Jair was able to be in the slot a little bit more? If he didn't have to get pushed outside because he's by far the best corner we have, and typically teams number ones are going to be on the outside. Make no mistake, I'm rooting for Kevin King. I'm unbelievably 
disappointed and upset that he's already hurt. I shouldn't say already hurt. He's still hurt. And I'm really, really, really hopeful that he's ready to go by the time the regular season rolls around and that whatever the, the surgeries and the rehab and the bulking up in the upper body area and all that stuff is going to help because we need Kevin King. And I, I, I just think if he gets hurt again, that's kind of the end of the road. I don't think you get hurt three years in a row and then you have a bounce back fourth year and get your big contract. If nothing else, the guy's got to stay healthy. And if you look at it, you know, if we're going to assume, and we can't really assume it, but let's just say we're going to assume that somebody's going to take a leap. What, what, what even are the options? you got a bunch of wide receivers, you know, Marquez, Geronimo, Jamon, um, you know, EQ, could say Jamal and Dexter, can't really say Aaron. I mean, he could take a leap, but that would make him like a, what, a top three running back. Uh, Spriggs, Jair, Jackson, King. Josh Jones, if he decides to play, if we let him play, Oren Burks, uh, Montrevious. If you look at that group, considering where he was drafted and his physical upside, I don't know that there's smarter money. I mean, you got to remove the injury from the equation, but let's say without that, where else? The only guy that I can think that's maybe more athletically appealing is Marquez. But again, considering where they were drafted, it gives you an idea of what the expectation level is. So I'm, I'm excited. I've, I've been burned in the past with Randall and Rollins as far as overhyping people and then being disappointed and also feeling dumb. So I'm probably not going to super overhype him, but I am excited. I, I guess I'm excited at the thought of it happening. What percentage would I put it at if I'm being honest? I guess it depends how high we're talking about, but the, the odds of him being healthy starting and let's say playing at a level of, you know, from PFF standards, let's say 75 or higher... I, I mean, honestly, between 5 and 10%, that's, <laughs> if I'm being honest. I mean, j- just health alone, What I don't know if I even put that at 50%. He's already hurt. We're talking about chronic shoulder injuries. Then the odds of him playing well and, and, and to the standard of, of at least to where kind of Jair was, I'll be generous and call it 10%. But I don't, I don't know if I even necessarily believe that. But I, I do hope it happens. All right, let's let's turn our attention now to Lane Taylor a little bit. I've been dogging the guy. I don't mean to necessarily say I I, I just what what essentially that I've been saying is I really 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 liked Lane Taylor a lot when he was a backup. I always felt like when he stepped into the role as a starter, our goal was to find a replacement, and we just never did. Obviously, that's because the Packers felt like he was a starter, and they disagree with me. My way of looking at it is the Packers saw him as good enough, and I didn't like that mentality. I want Sitton and Lang, and Lane Taylor being good enough isn't good enough for me. Now, if we look at his overall PFF grade, he's about as boring as you can get. So 2013, 14, 15, it was all over the place, super low sample size, so it doesn't really matter, but, you know, 55, 41, 75. Below average, bad, good. 2016, when he steps in as a starter, uh, he's mid-60s for three seasons in a row. 60 is average. Boring. And it, I've never seen anyone more consistent in my life. If we look at 2018, almost every single game is right in the 60s. I mean, it, I'll give him credit for consistency, that's for sure. The best game he had was against Washington in Week 3. They gave him an overall grade of 70. The worst grade he had was Week 8 against the Rams. They gave him a grade of 50. You know, Aaron Donald and whatnot. But to have 50 and 70 as your range, and I, let, let me just read through it because it's incredible. 63, 58, 70, 63, 63, 54, 50, 65, 65, 66, 60, 64, 64, 63, 59. That's incredible. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Now, maybe the area where I'm criminally underrating him is his pass blocking. Now, he gave up the most sacks of anybody in the NFC North, which isn't great. And no, they were not all against Aaron Donald. The most he gave up in a game was two sacks. So he gave up uh, one against Minnesota, two against Washington, one against San Francisco, two against the Rams, one against New England, uh, and one against Seattle. But if we look at just his grades, 2018 he graded out, as you would expect, right dead center, 67. But 2016 and 2017 he actually graded out pretty high. I mean, it was mid-70s, but that's still pretty good. And then if we look a little closer, even at this year, again, he graded out as an average of 67.3, but his his grade as a pass blocker in Week 8 against the Rams was 4.8. Very, very rarely, if ever, do you see single-digit grades. 
That is as bad as it could possibly get. He only had two other games where he was graded below 60, however. Week 13 against Arizona, week 6 against San Francisco. Every other game was either average or higher, and he had several that were... Most of his games were good to very good. Uh, so his good games were week 1 against Chicago, week 4 against Buffalo, week 5 against Detroit, um, week 11 against Seattle, week 15 against Chicago... Week 16 against the Jets. And really, week 16 was 79-9, so that's basically very good. Week 4 against Buffalo was 79-7, so that was technically very good. Then you look at week 10 against Miami, very good. Look at week 17 against Detroit, very good. So 8 out of 16 games was good to very good. Almost all the rest were rated about average, with the exception of one just absolutely abysmal game against the Rams. Again, assuming he was probably lined up a lot against Aaron Donald. Not that that's excusable, you can't just be that terrible against Aaron Donald, but it is what it is. And had that game not existed, he probably would have had, for the third year in a a row, a good pass blocking grade. Now his run blocking is terrible, which is what drags his grade down all the time, but as far as being super confident he's not going to have a job, and knowing what we know about how little teams, even run-heavy teams, care about the, uh, the run blocking... Compared to the pass blocking, it might be a little bit of an uphill battle for Elton Jenkins to come in and just steal this job. Because if he can't come in and pass block to the level of Lane Taylor, which is relatively high. He's not elite, but this is good. And it's consistent, which is important as well. I think it's relatively telling that even in games like against uh, Detroit, for example, where he did give up a sack, he still overall had a good grade. Meaning he gave up one, but over the course of, you know, let's see... uh, 62 pass blocking snaps he played pretty well Uh, against Seattle gave up a sack he had a pretty high grade in that game as well so you know maybe have a lapse at one point but you fight back so again maybe I miss or overstated it to say that Elton Jenkins is automatic Um, I do tend to think it's his job if he can perform at a high level but it is going to be tough to be able to beat Lane Taylor if this is what Lane Taylor can do now, Elton Jenkins has a supreme advantage, well, for a couple reasons, as a second-round pick and as being younger. If he's even tied with Lane Taylor as a pass blocker, it's automatically Elton Jenkins' job. Beyond that, however, with his athleticism, I think he's a better fit for the, the running scheme and is much more athletic than Lane Taylor. Um, so, you know, in the run game, I think Elton Jenkins is going to be the ideal fit. So it could actually be the case that Elton Jenkins gets the job if he's just not bad as a pass blocker. However, I don't know. It's such an important thing. I think you got to be kind of good. Still, Lane Taylor, again, with as bad of a run blocker as he is, and he's a big dude. I mean, Lane Taylor is 324 pounds. I mean, that's kind of standard, but we're, we're talking about a guy that's, I mean, he's, he's going to be 30 in November. A 30-year-old at 324 pounds running outside zone trying to, to sprint to the outside and, and, and smash somebody's head in. A guy that doesn't really do a great job as a run blocker. I mean, there, there's just no doubt in my mind Elton Jenkins was drafted to replace Lane Taylor. And whenever that's the case, they're going to try to push him in as soon as they can. They're not going to rush it. So, again, maybe I overspoke saying that it's going to be week one. But we'll have to see. But, yes, I will agree that I, I didn't, at the very least give Lane Taylor enough respect for doing as good of a job as he's done at the most important part of his job, which is protecting Aaron Rodgers. Geronimo, to be completely honest, I think is going to be kind of hard to defend outside of what I have already said about him. He doesn't have the upside of Kevin King with the athleticism and all that kind of stuff. He's relatively young at 25. He's not super young. He doesn't really have any attributes in which he's, you know, as far as his grading or anything that's super great. Uh, It's just... The best thing I can say, like I said, is is exactly what I've already said. I think he's reliable. Um, I think he's intelligent because, you know, Aaron Rodgers can can rely on him to be where he's supposed to be, and I think that's great. I think the biggest uphill battle for him, if if my previous statement was correct and and Devontae kind of went on to to corroborate it, is that in this scheme it's going to kind of benefit you to be an athletic wide receiver, right? It's it's scheme dependent and quick guys, fast guys, the Trevor, you know, it's why guys like Trevor who've never been that good are suddenly blossoming in the scheme because it just suits him. Guys like Marquez are really starting to do a good job because it suits him. Geronimo isn't that guy. That's not to say he can't find his own niche, 
right? Devontae's not a fast guy, but he's still going to be the number one wide receiver and by a lot. I guess I'm just having a hard time trying to see where he gets better. And maybe that shouldn't be my tack because a lot of people think he's already good, but I don't know, man. I think I think the best stat for Geronimo, for people that, that like him and, and want to, and it, it, it goes with what I've said as far as his relationship with Aaron Rodgers, but the one stat that's going to stand out, if you look at every single wide receiver, this is out of 200 wide receivers. Actually, that's a lie. It's out of 225 wide receivers. Geronimo Allison, last year, was graded as or had the 15th highest passer rating when targeted. Now, a lot of that is Aaron Rodgers, but it speaks to a good relationship. Whenever Aaron Rodgers has a good relationship with a wide receiver, that's one stat that always stands out. Remember, it wasn't long ago Devontae and Jordy were very high in that category because when he's got a good relationship with a receiver, it just works. Last year, he wasn't on the field all that often. That was, you know, a lot of people thought that was going to be his breakout year, which I'll say is a little surprising, and it, it's part of the reason that I'm skeptical to, to begin with, because if you look at 2017 and how that actually went and how not great it was to have so many people hyped up that this was going to be his year. So essentially in 2019, people are saying this is going to be, be his year because last year was supposed to be his year, but I think the premise that last year was going to be his year was completely out of nowhere and fallacious. But... Last year, on a, a limited basis, he played weeks one through four, then he was out, played in week eight, and that was it. But in those uh, five weeks, three of them, he had a passer rating when targeted over 100. His only one under was week four against Buffalo, 85.4. But in week two against Minnesota, 111.1. In week eight against the Rams, 118.8. In week three against Washington, 135.4. Week one against Chicago, 142.3. And if we take his stats and extrapolate it over 16 games, that's 969 yards. Basically 970, 969.6, with about six, six-ish touchdowns. That's some pretty good production. So if he steps in and is healthy and, and gets an established role, his, his numbers could go up quite a bit. And to be honest, in the slot, it could go up even more. If he becomes the possession guy, suddenly his targets go from you know, five to six average to, you know, six to seven, seven to eight, talking an extra 10 yards per game. I mean, he's over a thousand yards. And again, as I've said, I, I think in the slot makes a lot of sense, not even necessarily so much his, his skill set, although that, that maybe works as well, but just when you look at his relationship with Aaron Rodgers and wanting that, that relief valve, wanting that guy that he can trust to, to find a way to get open. And even when he's not exactly open, if I put the ball in the right spot, he's going to come away with it. To have that guy running quick routes and, and just, you know, not worrying about getting down the field and doing all this kind of crazy stuff or whatever, just being that guy that's reliable, that if, if you know, my primary isn't there, I know where Geronimo's going to be, I can drop my eyes and I know he's going to be there, and I can put the ball somewhere and he's going to come up with it. I mean, Geronimo, in that respect, could have a very big year. If he can just do what he needs to do and have reliable hands and, and be Roger's sort of relief valve, you know, the guy that, that comes up not only when things break down, but, but, but be the guy that can come up on critical third down plays and whatnot, that's going to be huge. And that, and that accounts for a lot of targets and a lot of receptions and, and even things like touchdowns in a lot of ways. Because when the stakes are high, you just, you know, not just Rodgers, in anybody's case, you don't want to put the ball or trust the ball in somebody's hands that you just don't trust. And where are my eyes going to go first? I mean, you know, you have progressions, but my mind immediately goes to the guys that I trust. So I, I stand essentially by what I say. I, I think he's overhyped in terms of his overall talent, but I think he's maximized what it is he's able to do. Whatever his skill set is, he's made the absolute best of it and is the epitome of, of a grinder. I'm not as fast as Marquez. I'm not as, well, he's six foot three. He's pretty tall, but I'm going to work at it. I'm going I'm to hone my craft. I'm going to get better at route running. I'm going to understand the scheme. I'm going to understand the assignments. I'm going to do what Roger says when he says to do it. I'm going to be there. And when he calls me and when he puts that ball out there, I'm coming down with it. He did have three drops last year, but whatever. Overall, he's a pretty reliable target. And again, that does mean something. And I, and I think in the slot, that means something as well. I know there's a specific skill set you need there, but the Packers are already looking for bigger guys. He's six foot three. He's going to be that big slot. Um, I, I don't know. I, I do like it. I, I think I kind of see Geronimo as a Lane Taylor type. I like him, but I would also like to find a replacement at some point. But at the same time, I'm always looking for those 
high upside, high potential guys, and those are the ones that a lot of times don't pan out. And I'm overlooking the guys like Geronimo who don't have the high skill set but produce. And they don't have great PFF grades, but they produce. 71% reception percentage, 303 yards and two touchdowns in five games. 130.5 passer rating with Aaron Rodgers. That's production. 64 yards was his longest reception. So he's got that going for him as well. 15.2 yards per reception. Now that's probably going to come down if he moves into the slot, but that's that's a big number. So yeah, have I been dogging him too much? Yes. I have limited expectations. It's kind of funny because I have limited expectations of his ceiling, but if, if we were to do that percentage game as far as him having a successful season compared to Kevin King, I'm going to bet on Geronimo. I don't want to bet on Geronimo. If I, if I could pick, I would say let's let Kevin King be awesome and let Geronimo be garbage because we got a lot of other wide receivers and, you know, you know whatever. We'll make it work. We'll manage. But, I, you know, again, if I got to put money down, I'd probably put it on Geronimo having a better season, even though I don't think he's nearly as... I know he's not as talented as, as Kevin King as far as overall athleticism and, and all that kind of stuff. Now, the last guy that I dogged apparently too much was Josh Jones. Now, I will say a couple things. I, I, I know there's a good chance he's not playing anyway, so maybe this doesn't matter. I, I honestly think the fact that he even showed up was a good sign. I didn't expect him to return to Green Bay. Now, maybe that's just because there's fines that are going to be coming if he doesn't show up, so he didn't want to get the fines, so he showed up and said, oh, my leg hurts, so that he doesn't. I, I, I don't know the exact dynamic, and if that's the case, then it's even worse, because obviously the team knows he's lying just to get out of it so that they have to pay him, and it's really an ugly situation. But if he's actually hurt and he showed up and he's willing to play when he's ready and all that stuff, then maybe he's going to play. I don't know. Now, my expectation is that he will be shipped off at some point, whether it's now or later when teams get more desperate because of injuries, I don't know. But one thing that I have said about Josh Jones is he did take a step. Josh Jones and, and Jason Spriggs were in the same category in that they very, very, very quietly, to the point that nobody noticed, got better. Everybody talked about Josh Jones like he's no good. I mean, he, Twitter's kind of crazy in and of itself. But man, the love for, for guys like Bryce and, and Raven Green and all this kind of stuff is just nuts. I mean, it, it's it's crazy because you look at other guys that are early draft picks that have as much athleticism as Josh Jones and as much potential as Josh Jones, and everybody's hyping him up. You know, Kevin King and whatnot, oh, he's, he's real good. It's just a matter of time. This Josh Jones is just gone. Nobody cares. We're talking about undrafted free agents, for crying out loud. People are talking about, oh, I can't wait. He's so good. And but, Dude. I mean, the fan base moved on from Josh Jones real quick. And I, I don't honestly think I dogged him that much, but maybe I did because... I was one of the people, or the only one that I'm aware of, that said, dude, he, he did get better. In fact, all of last year during the season, I said, I don't understand why he's not on the field. I mean, that's a terrible sign for Josh Jones to have Mike Pettin say, I, I don't want you even on the field. But the fact of the matter is, um, starting in essentially week nine, he played in week five and week eight, but essentially starting in week nine due to injuries, but uh, for, for you know whatever reason, he started and he performed relatively well. By that, I mean he graded out higher than he did in, in 2017. Now, again, you take the athleticism, the potential, second year in Petten's scheme, the fact that he took a small step in 2018. I, I, it just feels like there's potential there for a break. And in fact, whenever you see guys that have third-year or fourth-year breakout seasons, typically what you see is a slow progression prior to that. There's usually a leap from week one to week two. Sorry, year one to year two, whatever. And if they break out in year four, there'll be a jump from year one to year two, from year two to year three, and then boom, there's year four. And really, Josh Jones is similar to Lane Taylor in that um, he didn't have a lot of real good games, but he didn't have a lot of terrible games either. He, he actually didn't have any. His lowest game was 50.1, which 50s I consider below average. That was his worst overall game. Now, his highest wasn't very high. It was 72.9 against Arizona. But you take away the top and the bottom, and you got a bunch of like mid-50s to mid-60s. He's right there in that Lane Taylor territory, where he's just consistently okay. Now, the biggest issue with Josh Jones, in my opinion, is coverage. But even that isn't bad. It's just consistently average. His, his, his only bad game the entire year was against the Jets. Now, this is grade-wise, not necessarily statistic-wise. But otherwise, he's been perfectly average in that regard. In, in run defense, it's been a little bit more volatile. He's had some bad, but he's also had quite a bit more good, including Week 9 against New England, where he actually graded out as very good. 
His tackling, again, volatile. Week 12 against Minnesota, week 8 against the Rams, horrific tackling. Week 10 and week 11 were below average, but week 9, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 were all good and, and very good, most of them being very good. And the fact that it was weeks 13 through 17 uh, shows that consistency. Again, that's kind of what... So he's out for half a year. He comes in, there's some problems, tackling, and this and that. But starting in week 13, he's very consistent, at the very least, and his fundamentals as a tackler, which was a problem for the Packers overall. That's a good sign. Uh, if you look at his passer rating, it's kind of, you know, I guess what you would expect considering what I said. He had uh, three games out of nine with a passer rating over 100 that he allowed. The rest were all under 100. That includes Week 10 against Miami, where he gave up a passer rating of 57.6. Week 17 against Detroit, 77.1. And Week 13 against Arizona, passer rating of zero. Now, again, these things can be misleading because zero targets, zero receptions. Of course, it's going to be zero. However, still, the guy dropped into coverage 27 times. Not once did a ball go into his area. That, that accounts for something. So we'll see. Again, I don't really think he's going to be playing uh, for the Packers this year. But if he does, he's just he's another guy that has potential. And, and we got to hit on one of them. It's a very, very young team, especially on the defense. Josh Jones, Kevin King, Jair, Josh Jackson, even guys like, like Savage and, and uh, Rashawn Gary, all the unknowns that are there replacing people that weren't very good. Some of them are just trying to replace themselves. But it's a question of the odds that none of these guys are going to improve any of these positions or break out is just... It's very close to zero. Josh Jones isn't going to break out. Okay, is Kevin King? Is Josh Jackson? Is Jair? Is Savage going to massively improve our safety situation? Could Rashawn Gary come in and and be kind of dominant? There's a lot of youth that is just a a giant question mark. Somebody's got to be really good. Somebody should be a dominant player. We have to have added somebody. Whether that's a new addition or somebody taking a step, somebody's got to step up. But I'm especially looking at these young DBs, and Josh Jones, again, if he plays, is is right in the crosshairs. Kevin King, probably more so than anybody. He's got all the tools. He's got all the opportunities. We now have a pass rush. He's got better safeties over the top, especially when you got guys like Savage who've got range to be able to get there in time. It's really going to help, you know, as far as what you need to be able to do. Everything's right there. Every, everything is right there for this defense to just be a dog defense. There's a bunch of fast hard hitters on this team. Mean, strong, fast, young, the, the the energy that should be there. And that's that's kind of my biggest problem at this point with Josh Jones. It's not even his play. There is a potential for this team to be youthful and for that youth to just be wild and reckless and crazy and just mean. And I don't need a guy moping around the locker room. I mean, even if, if I had to pick between Josh Jones being, you know, a good safety and playing for the Packers, but a drag on the locker room, or gone, I pick gone. Because the the energy and that unit working together as a unit and being fired up and having each other's back is critical to a team, but especially to a defensive unit. And if Josh Jones is dragging on that in any way, he needs to go away. And I know that that probably wouldn't be the case, because usually these kinds of disputes, players are pretty good about not taking it personal. It's, It's usually they do a good job of making it kind of us versus them. In other words, usually when they come back, he gets embraced with open arms. But that isn't always the case, and, and pl- football players aren't uh, a, a monolith. They're all individuals, and some people might look at that as a slight and say, you know, we're here working and you're over there pouting. So that'll be up to Gutekunst or whatever to gauge that. If he does decide to stay, do you want to keep him at this point? But that would be my biggest fear. I, I, I want this defense to be a unit to be a strong, fast, dominant unit. I want them to be loud. I want them to be wild. As much as I'm usually not that way, and sometimes it's kind of like, come on, man, the, you know, the, the celebrations are all childish. I mean, they're not even cool. They're, they're lame. It's not even so much like, I, I hate celebrations. I don't mind a good celebration. But, I mean, you look like 13-year-old girls out there sometimes. It's embarrassing. Let's do a sack race. <laughs> we'll get in our PJs. Dude, no, man. Like, I mean, either do something cool, like, you know, a BJ Raji, you know, the, the his little dance, or, the, you know, you think about the Grave Digger, you think about Clay Matthews' animalistic thing, you know, something, something, do something awesome. Or just, at, at, at least just go back to the old school Gronk smash. Just spike the ball. Lambo leap, I mean, you got a lot of options. But, it, but it, anyway, <laughs> in this case, though, 
I want them to go crazy. I want them to be over the top. If it results in one or two penalties here or there because they get a little too chippy, because they're celebrating a little too much, because they're popping off because Jair's running over to the other sideline and and getting in somebody's face and he gets penalized for that, I'll take it. I will take that. You think about some old school defenses. You think about the Steelers and the Ravens and how they got a little bit chippy. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, headshots or anything crazy or dumb like that or, or overly violent, but aggressive, angry, hostile, going into somebody else's territory and taking it from them, planting a flag in somebody else's stadium, daring them to move the football on their own field, making them afraid of their own field. I want that so bad, and we've got the right guys to do it. And Josh Jones, I think, is a part of it. Josh Jones is, is, could be one of those guys that leads that effort. Now, he'd also be the leader of the a little too aggressive team. But again, I, I don't hate it. Get mean. Get violent. Hit them hard. You know, hit them legally, but hit them hard. Make them think twice. Make him drop the next pass because he dropped his eyes to see where Josh Jones is, making sure he wasn't going to put his helmet in my back again. Bringing that Mike Daniels energy, but doing it at all levels. Blake and Oren, Amos, you know, smashing Savage on the back end. Oh, Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, Zadarius, and Rashawn is a mean dude too. I, I, I mean, I think he would play into that mentality perfectly. I think Zadarius is more of a, you know, Zadarius and Kenny Clark maybe bring some of that quiet energy, but it's a you're gonna feel my presence kind of quiet energy. I don't know that for sure. I know Kenny Clark is that way. But it's kind of like a Julius Peppers kind of thing. A Terrell Suggs kind of thing, if you will. I'm not going to play dirty, but you're going to fear me anyways. And if, if, if I'm Mike Pettin, that's something I want to drag out of these guys real hard. And I'm going to tell my coaches, we need to get that out of these guys. I want them to be wild. I do. It's sort of the opposite of an offense. You want it to be tight and choreographed. I, I want my defense loose. You know, you've got a general assignment. We've got an alignment. But when that ball is snapped, you just go out and, and just go get it. I want it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for our offense, but I want badly for the Packers to have a scary defense. Anyways, talking in circles, but I'm getting myself all jacked up, and I don't want to stop saying it, and I could sit here and say it for another hour. But I have to go to work, and so do you. So we'll cut it off there. Thank you for all the uh, the suggestions, and it did feel good to, to kind of come to the defense of the guys that I've been kind of dogging for a while. But I'm excited about it, and I'm, I'm going to be saying that, I think, every day probably now as we get closer because it's starting to feel real i mean we got like two months before football it's crazy but anyways you folks enjoy your day i will talk to you as always tomorrow have a good one bye-bye